Listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, Sezzle, and Silk. The OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is September 15th, 2022. I'm your host, Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all the top headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. Chris, we're getting right to it today. This is a no-nonsense podcast. We've got some big plans coming up Big here plans next, next week. weekend. Yes. Grocery shop. Yes, no reviews today. We are going right into grocery shop next week where we'll be broadcasting from the conference for your next week's Fast Five. So to help us get in right into the flow of the uh, yeah. show today, Chris. Get that trade show mindset going. Right. We're going to get, get really get... thoughtful, insightful when we get up on stage. That's yes. right. That's right. We have guests today on the show, the A&M Consumer and Retail Group's David Ritter and Mohit Mahal back for their regular scheduled monthly appearance. You guys, I'm really excited to have you here today. We need your support today more than ever. Uh, how, <laughs> we need your insights. Yes, we need your insights. We need your support. We need your guidance. We've got a hell of a list of topics today, but how are you guys doing? Dave, it's good to have you back. Thank you very much. Doing fantastic. Yeah, Mohit, you and I go way back. Um, I'm actually disappointed not to see Mohit's art behind him. He's a he's also oh. quite an artist in addition to his extraordinary I did not insights. know that. Yes. Mohit, how's it going today? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, and uh, I'm doing great. I, uh, maybe I'm taking some inspirations from the art here. I'm in a okay. hotel day off today. Fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Dave, why don't you start too? Like, what? First of all, how many? T- have you lost track of how many times you've been on this show? <laughs> I think I yeah, have. I, I honestly, I don't think I can tell you exactly how many. <laughs> six, I believe. Yeah, six. Uh, okay, I think I got I, the green jacket last time. You did. You did. So, tell us. Remind the audience who you are. You've been on a lot, but remind the audience who you are. What you do. I am a longtime consultant uh, in the retail sector. I help my clients with big transformations often kind of at the intersection of operations, strategy, and technology. Very happy awesome. to be here. Yeah, awesome. It's great to have you back, man. We always love when you're on. Uh, Moet, how about you? Large-scale turnaround and transformation expert, uh, really focused on specialty retail with a lot of mm. work on apparel, on a bright, broad variety of topics ranging from top line, profitability, and, and growth. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we've got some definite topics on oh, those yes. subjects today. So there's some <laughs> there's some good meaty topics in here. So let's get right to it. Today's Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of our good friends at Grocery Shop. Are you a retailer or brand still thinking about attending Grocery Shop just three days before the event? Heck yeah. Who does you, you better be, you right? You better hop a plane. There's still time. There's Tiesto's still time. probably still doing pool parties in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Like, get to that. Isn't that a movie? There's still time or something. But anyway, well, book your flights and register using your promo code specifically for OmniTalk listeners. Just go to groceryshop.com and enter promo code RBOT1950. That's R-B-O-T-1950 for your special discounted rate. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on a new material Nike has invented mm. that it thinks could, quote, change the apparel industry. Wegman's calling it quits on Scan and Go Shopping. I'm really excited about that one, Yes. Ed. Tuesday morning, getting a fresh injection of capital from retail e-commerce ventures, Target's new partnership with FAO Schwartz, 
But we first take off today with news out of Starbucks. And would you have the honors, please? I would. And I was surprised. I even got a personal experience with this this morning. You did. So we'll yes, see. I heard all about it. So, Chris, according to Yahoo Finance, Starbucks is exploring developing technology to prevent U.S. cafes from becoming overwhelmed by too many orders. The company is exploring load balancing Ooh, technology. Big that, word. I know. See, it still reminds me of PC load letter. I can't <laughs> right. get away from it. Kind of does. Load balancing technology that can send orders to stores that have the capacity to actually fulfill them instead of sending it to stores, your same store that's already being slammed by drive through customers. Chief Technology Officer Deb Hall Laferve said in an interview with Reuters ahead of Investor Day on Tuesday. Such technology will help distribute the demand more evenly across multiple stores, especially during peak hours, Laferve also said. And she also added that the company is also focused on automating tasks and streamlining jobs so that employees can prioritize customer service. Mohit, we're going to go to you first on this one. What do you think of the ideas surrounding this uh load balancing technology are you are you in it are you asking questions about it where where are you with it i mean listen i think about this as a trillion dollar disruption right uh with a t Mm. um Mm. and to me this just continues to highlight how technology especially ai will continue to disrupt retail at a breakneck pace i mean we've been seeing this with multiple clients when online demand went up during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Retailers either capped the number of stores where they were taking Bopis orders. You know, we've all seen the crowded parking lots converted into like, you right. know, buy online picket in store. Many capped the number of online orders they will process in a store not to break the system. Right. What Starbucks is now doing is a step in how do you capitalize on that new demand and the new normal in the most efficient manner? And AI is going to play a a big component in it. Frankly, I mean, I think of it as just one use case. Based on work we've been doing with our clients, uh, we see AI being increasingly deployed in demand and deployment as it relates to inventory, merchandising planning, customer service, pricing and promotion. You just name it, right? So to me, this is just one use case. The way I think about this is, you know, just in US alone, retail is a $6 trillion plus opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think it is not far-fetched to say the kind of impact we're going to see on retail just over the next two or three years with all the different kind of AI use cases is going to be in a, at least a trillion dollar plus range, significantly higher over the next five or 10 years. So, you know, really exciting. I personally love Starbucks, so, you know, I can't be more happier about it. Well, Mohit, I I have to agree with you. And, and there's also a story that came out this week that said, you know, we Starbucks is also going to be opening 2,000 new stores, investing $450 million in, in modernizing stores with the type of automation and AI that you're talking about. I'm curious, though, specifically, like AI aside, like of this specific thing, like being able to move orders from one Starbucks to another, what about the consumer side of this? Because that's what I'm I'm thinking about here. And I, I would question, like, do you have any thoughts about what that's going to mean for, you know, my my best friend who I ran into this morning who got rerouted to another Starbucks because the her Starbucks had stopped taking mobile orders because they were there was too much load there at that Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, where does that come into play with the addition of the new technology? I think there is going to be an element to it around how do you think about what what is going to be the consumer feedback? 
Yeah. And really taking that to the core. At the end of the day, this is not a technology play, right? Anything and everything which we need to do has to create exponentially better customer experience, which is what right. they're trying to do. So I'm quite sure they'll they'll learn a lot and they've probably done a fair bit of testing already around the kind of things where they might see a negative or an adverse consumer impact. Yeah. But I think you're, you're spot on, right? Like there, there would be adjustments which they probably need to make down the road yeah. Knowing Starbucks and its history, this is probably just the first salvo. So there is more to come. And I think it's a really exciting time. Yeah. Dave, you're you're the transformation expert um, and tech yeah. expert here. Like, what do you think about, you know, marrying the customer experience with these new Starbucks stores and then, you know, this technology in particular? So, and I couldn't agree more with you, frankly. I, I think this is quite different than Bopus. So I think for delivery orders, this makes perfect sense. And mm -hmm. they should immediately right. do it and reroute it because right. it doesn't impact the customer. I actually think Starbucks has, plays a different role in a in the retail ecosystem than a traditional kind of Bopus retailer. Starbucks is a, is a point on a path mm -hmm. on your morning commute. Starbucks mm -hmm. is a point on a path to pick up your kids. And being redirected, I think, could actually have really potential, potentially negative, adverse customer uh, impacts mm -hmm. in, in a pretty 100%. significant way. As I read it, I'm like, what if they rerouted me five miles out of the way? Like it exactly. Gets... Or force you into the store itself. You yeah. know, that's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Right. Chris, I mean, you, you have you have similar feelings. On yeah, this, but... 100%. When I read this, I think it's it's so misguided. You can't load balance between stores for pickup for the reasons Dave's saying, because you're a point in the route that's routine for you. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't, that can't be happening sporadically. So I hate this idea, but I think it goes back. What, what it tells me, though, is that the real problem here is really that the stores aren't designed for how people want to consume coffee or buy coffee anymore. Right. Which goes back to the point you made about the architectural overhauls and the stores, the new stores they have planned, that hopefully they'll create that capacity through that. And the idea is then you need to put better automation and AI technology into those operations to make them make the coffee more efficiently over time. Yes. Load balancing is probably not the right way to go. So I don't actually even know why they're out there talking about it, is I, what I would say. I completely agree. I think that if I was going to put any effort into something right now, it would be how do I start to deploy more automation in the stores versus load balancing mm -hmm. and transferring the, the around? How do I you know focus on what we're seeing in Amazon Go, where you have a full on, I mean, that that cup of that latte that you were programming in anyway when you're doing a mobile order and picking up, like, I don't know if that's being made by a person or by a machine at this point right. in time. And if and I think that that's going to be important for them to think about as you're talking about as they're building out these 2000 stores, you know, do they create a delivery or a pickup only store delivery pickup only stores in these like interim areas where they're seeing such high load? But I just, I do not like that we are not right. focusing, Starbucks being we, is not focusing on how you make that coffee making process simpler. It does not need to be made by a person. Right, which is a whole nother offshoot to this topic too, is does this whole process make Starbucks even more mass commoditized and more of just a cheaper product over time? Are we going down that road, which you know could have brand consequences? But Dave... It looks like you want to have the last word here. Go for it. Yeah, one, one thing I thought, so I, th I agree the article focused on something that was the smallest of all the things that were mentioned uh, in the press release. Three things that were mentioned that are, I think are really important is they've got a new cold brew system that's automated. Mm -hmm. They've got the clover machines, which is automated kind of single serve. And then they've got the just walk out technology, which those three things are so much of a bigger, a, a bigger deal and frankly, more impactful ideas uh, than the load balancing. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I, th I think it was kind of a focused on a, a 
a small topic. Yeah, it's all. It's always a good tell when you use the word phrase like load balancing in quotes <laughs> to, to, to get your thing. You know, like it's just you know, there's probably not much there. All right, let's keep rolling here. So headline number two: Nike unveiled a new material that again thinks it could quote change the apparel industry. According to a Tuesday press release, Nike has introduced a material it is calling Forward, which is created by, quote, hacking punch needle machines, end quote, which I have no idea what that means. Oh, I looked it up. Oh, you did? It's impressive. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Nike says the production process for Forward results in a carbon footprint that is about 75% lower than that for producing a standard knit fleece. According to Retail Dive, the first products with the material, which is comprised of 70% recycled content by weight, will be a gray hoodie and crew neck. No surprise there. And the products will be available globally on September 15th. Moet, let's go back to you on this one since Dave closed out the last one. What are your thoughts? Will this move the sustainability effort forward, pun intended, in apparel? Or is this is this not that much to write home about at this stage? You know, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not very close to the technology, but if you think about the concept, the headline here is a small step in the right direction, right? Yeah. In respect to whichever we want to think about cli- climate change, and I know people might not agree on the pace and the magnitude of change, this is something which is increasingly important for, for consumers uh, and the next generation of consumers. I think I was reading on this, the fashion industry is responsible for more global carbon emissions than all international flights and maritime shipping combined, mm-hmm. right? right. That's a fairly big number, right? right? And you see examples of this, be it like the recycled raw materials, which you know different companies have adopted, or the recycling program in denim, uh, you know, Levi's adopted that, there's a bunch of others which followed suit. You know, there, there is going to be new ways where every single fashion and apparel company will have a version of their sustainability program. And we are increasingly seeing it with clients in the last, I would say, three to five years where they're starting to do things, which is, again, I say a a small step in the right direction. But I think where the market is, as it relates to the consumers and their buying behavior, it is still not materially raised itself to a threshold where for your entire consumer behavior, it becomes one of the key purchasing prioritization criteria right mm-hmm. but the market will eventually move there would it get there in the next five years or 10 years i don't know right mm-hmm. but this is uh, everything this is everything which will become super more important where if you think through what really matters for a consumer in their purchasing intent price value is it sustainability and and it's a question of time before sustainability starts becoming you know the top priority criteria, if not the most important But, you know, maybe in top three. And that's where, you know, every single uh, fashion brand around the globe has been taking their version of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, definitely a step in the right direction. I'm personally very excited with the numbers around 75% reduction in emissions. That's great. I have worked with a lot of denim companies. And, you know, I remember this was like a decade back. But you end up going through like 4,000 liters of water to make one denim. So th- that is a huge impact on the environment. So, you know, I'm, I'm personally very excited with it. Uh, but I think there's a lot more which needs to be done in this space. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure you went down a rabbit hole, I'm guessing, based on, oh. on how you responded when I did that read on the punch needle machine or whatever yeah. it was. So, so what's, what's your take? Are you kind of where it is or what, what are you thinking? Well, I just wanted to learn about, like, I guess my question is always when you put out a product that's 75% more sustainable, right. that's a that's a significant increase. And so it's a I, step change. I'm always, I think that's a definition of a step change. Yeah. I'm always wondering, like, Okay, that's fine if you make like two products. So like how does that look right. at scale? Like right. what is how how realistic right. are we going to be about going from like 0 to 75% right. when you look at the just the scale and quantity of product that my Nike puts out. So I I think that for me the question is really going to come down to what what does this look like? Like if you look at the I don't mind the looks of these two products, mm-hmm. but there's some key things about them that are different. Like you don't know how it feels yet either. You don't know how it feels. There you don't know how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. Like you can't put this in the dryer, mm-hmm. which I'm sorry, but every single mom of kids right. who are buying Nike things are throwing stuff in the dryer. I don't know Great that point. they're going to be hang hang drying and whatever all of the special care. Maybe they will. But then there's like no reinforcement of the seams, like all the finishes, it's raw. Like this is a raw garment. And so I think it's going to take some time to see if like fashion and the the look and wear of this ends up being appealing or if Nike has to scale back and maybe we start at, you know, it's 50% more sustainable or 30% more sustainable. And then like Mohit's talking about work our way to like really make this a product that's that's going forward at scale. But I think I think Mohit's right. It's a step in the right direction. So step in the right direction. Kudos for that. But still a little a lot of questions about how this works long term and has an actual impact for the average consumer. Dave, what's your take here? Oh, it's interesting. We just released a re- report on sustainability, and the term that kept coming up was greenwashing, where it's you know retailers that say they're going green, but they're, the the things that mm-hmm. they're doing are so minor that they're actually not really having mm-hmm. a big impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with Ann. Seventy five percent feels like a real impact, and I love that. If, if this innovation really is that big, then this might be one of the first kind of step out things that isn't greenwashing that is really moving the needle, and I love that. Uh, the second thing is I agree with Mohit um, in that I think. Gen Z and millennials care more about this than than I think some executives that aren't Gen Z and millennials understand. Mm-hmm. So activating Nike's marketing machine to tell this story might be a big unlock in terms of, of getting the ball rolling that other retails will be forced to follow. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, I think I'm I'm where you guys are too. I mean, and I'm in real quickly. I want to tell an anecdote here because this reminded me of something that that I knew very well ten or fifteen years ago, but. I'm a little skeptical of it too. I want to buy into it. Like I'm, it's like you said, it's a good move in the right direction and kudos for trying it. But I can remember when I was a towel buyer at Target mm-hmm. and all the Target de- executives demanded that I put organic towels into my assortment, right? And I, it basically was like, you're going to do it kind of thing. Yeah. Like you can't say no. And I did it and it sucked. They didn't sell. They came in like three crappy colors because you can only, to your point, Anne, you can only get so many different colors right. on the material and they didn't sell. And honestly, they probably still don't. I don't even know if you can even get organic towels anymore. Like you probably can't, or there's probably not very many options of them. They didn't proliferate like you'd expect. So I feel like that's the same thing that ultimately could happen here, which gets me a little bit depressed about it, quite honestly, when you look at how people want to consume things. But I think, Dave, to your point, I come back to you. Saving graces, Gen Z still seems a little more conscious than the average towel consumer probably is circa 2007 when I was <laughs> making these decisions. But anyway, let's keep rolling. All right. Headline number three, our favorite headline of the week, I think. Wegmans is pulling the plug on Scan & Go mobile shopping in its stores. According to Grocery Dive, Wegmans is ending the use of Scan & Go shopping in its app as of September 18th. Users of the app will receive a $20 digital coupon to compensate for the service being shut off. 
A Wegmans spokesperson also had this to say, quote, unfortunately, the losses we are experiencing from this program prevent us from continuing to make it available in its current state, end quote. What the losses were were not clarified despite requests for commentary from Wegmans by Grocery Dive. Dave, let's go to you first on this one. What are your thoughts on this move? It's a it's a big, big shift in uh, in where Wegmans was going before, and I know a lot of their clients and customers are are have a lot of feedback here. What are what are your thoughts? I think this is a hundred percent a mistake from a company that I really respect. Really. Okay, um, we're going to have some debate here. Okay, go so, for it. I mean, first off, I think we can all acknowledge that frictionless checkout completely aligns with customer preferences in a world where millennials and Gen Zs are starting to become the primary shopper in grocery. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think this goes against customer trends in a pretty significant way. And while I'm sure there is a bump in, in shrink, a slight bump in shrink, it's also important to note that, that 30% of the labor in the store tends to be cashier in grocery. So I really wonder if they've done the, the the proper math to say every one of those transactions now has to go through a till. And, you know, that's whatever, three to five minutes per transaction. At That adds up fast, right? So right. The, the, the economics around strength get interesting when compared to the economics of, of labor in, in a store. I also think that the, the strength issue tends to be organized crime. Like the average person that's using this isn't, uh, yeah, I think they're using this as an excuse for their shrink problems, um, mm. and I'm sure maybe perhaps organized crime is using it, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not peanut butter spread. This is one or two or three or four bad apples that are using it over and over again, rather than a failure of the program more broadly. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought the labor into the perspective into this, Dave. Um, One of the many things we appreciate about having you and Moet on the show, because I didn't even thought about that. And and that's such a such a great point. Mohit, what would you add here? Is there any any thoughts that you have before Chris and I give our. uh, Yeah. Do you agree with Dave or disagree? You know, generally, I try to disagree with Dave. But on this (laughs) one, fortunately, it seems like I have to. I was having a discussion with a small regional grocer uh, probably three or four weeks back, which were, uh, you know, and they're evaluating these kind of technologies. And one of their biggest questions as part of the meeting was around shrink, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you think in the broad scheme of things around uh, store labor in any kind of retail, especially in groceries, one of your biggest P&L line items. There are ways to get around it. And I think about the Costco experience where if, you know, you're standing in a long line and if there was a shop and go experience, but eventually you have someone checking the receipts. Mm-hmm. There are ways to get around it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, a little bummed on, on this one. And the fact that, you know, there isn't a lot of commentary around why they are letting it, there is not, not enough detail around it. Right. It makes me a little wonder whether it's it's really shrink or if it's something else, which, which is kind of driving it. Maybe it's capital deployment. Maybe it's around you know, problems they're having in terms of recruiting for their stores, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is becoming increasingly difficult to recruit in retail, especially after the pandemic. And as you kind of start thinking about automation, are they running into issues with their existing staff? Sure. Uh, that could potentially be another hypothesis, you know, why why they pulled the plug on this. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, what are, I mean, yeah. you and I we read this I, yeah. headline, we started going back and forth. Really, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I think I, I disagree with Dave, but I'm going to say this with a caveat, I think. I think I disagree with you guys a little bit. I mean, I think, and, and the other part of this that was in the headline that we didn't mention is they actually said that they're still reformulating how they potentially want to do it. And I think, so in, in essence, I actually agree with the move. 
Because like we've talked about on this show a lot, if you're going to do scan and go without a controlled exit point particularly, it becomes really difficult, mm-hmm. right? And it probably does lead to shrink, probably shrink more so even than theft to Dave's point. And then it also has implications on your inventory accuracy as well in terms of, you know, is everything scanned? Do they do it right? And then with all the buy online pickup and store capabilities, that becomes problematic too. So it just, but, and so it doesn't, and to give you an idea too, I think it's important. Like when I say controlled exit points, that doesn't necessarily mean receipt checks at the door, a la a Costco or a Sam's, which are already set up for that. So that's normal for their customer. It just means that everyone has to still exit through a check lane, scan a barcode with some system of control, like which yeah. is being deployed at Walmart. Otherwise, you're letting people walk out the door on their own volition as others are shopping normally. And yes, that's confusing to the customers. It's confusing to your employees to track that. And therefore, you're going to have a lot of theft and shrink. So as an aside from this, I think the right approach is let's regroup, look at our stores architecturally, our design, our user experience of them. And let's also look at other technologies that I think can provide now the same functionality as Scan and Go. Like Scan and Go was like cool like five years ago, but there's new technologies that can do the same thing. Like mm-hmm. computer vision assisted self-checkout can be a lot faster or like what they're doing at HEB where the computer is looking at the cart, mm-hmm. right? And you just roll the cart through and that basically, you know, approximates the same idea or you go the full kit and caboodle just walk out technology a la amazon and that's a better path so i think given all of those hiccups that's why i actually kind of like this move which when i first read i was like wow i'm surprised they're doing that yeah i i think you i agree with all the points that you're bringing up chris i think the the key thing is that this tech does not need to be scrapped. It's just it needs to be reevaluated so that right. they can solve for this shrink problem and all the other things that they've probably learned because we're talking about Wegmans here. Like this mm-hmm. is one of the most beloved grocers in the country and the feedback from their customers like I mean if you read there's like threads and threads on Twitter of like why are you doing this? This is the reason I come to shop at your store. And I really? love this. Like they're so frustrated by losing this component of their shopping experience. And so I think that Wegmans just is going to need to communicate very quickly to those customers. Like we are adapting, we are evolving. Right. We will bring Here's this your 20 back. Bucks isn't Here's cut your it. <laughs> $20 will not cut it because as we've seen, like this is causing a shift in where people are deciding to go and do their grocery shopping. And if they want to maintain that brand love and advocacy that they have, they're going to have to figure out like Dave and Mohit are saying how they're going to bring this back and how they're going to serve that next generation of customer. Dave, any final word here? No, I, I actually, I think we all agree. I, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, so too. I was just simply saying, I agree. I believe in the that the future of that type of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's an implementation problem, frankly, or an mm-hmm. operational implementation mm-hmm. problem, more so than a than a, a technology problem. I just, I'd hate to see them pull the pull the plug on a you know a forward leaning technology at, because they aren't executing it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I always like to give the final word to the person that we disagree with or find out we agree with ultimately at the end. <laughs> Uh, funny how that works sometimes, but it's good. That's why we do this show. All right. Headline number four, according to Retail Dive, Tuesday morning is getting a $35 million injection of capital from an investor group led by Retail E-Commerce Ventures, the owner of Pier One, Radio Shack, Dress Barn, and other retail brands. All those brands you yes, love. Yes, right, right, right. With the deal, Retail E-Commerce Ventures and co-investor Aon Capital will control a majority of Tuesday morning's board. Tuesday morning, we'll get access to retail e-commerce ventures, a distribution system, as well as rights to sell products from the Pier 1 brand, which, as loyal OmniTalk fans will remember, retail e-commerce ventures acquired out of bankruptcy in 2020. David, 
make sense of this for us. Please how can, don't please. please. How can two wrong retail brands ever make a right? <laughs> um, so this one is tough. Uh, okay. An innovative model from 50 years ago, I guess. Seriously, how many times can you try to save uh, a dying brand? Uh, it feels like a zombie brand at this point. You know, discounters have better offers. Target and Walmart have improved their offers. And we're not even talking about Amazon. I mean, at this point, my my take is let it go. Don't burn more capital a- attempting to save these zombie brands. It's like The Walking Dead. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, I'm curious more. What, like, what do you think? What do you guys? What do you guys, Moet or Dave? Like, what do you think? Why is retail e-commerce ventures even going down this direction? Like, why do they think they can save it? What are the synergies there that they're trying to tap into? I mean, the way I think about it is, you know, especially like. If you look at the off-price model, right, it has come a long way in the last five decades. But mm-hmm. one has to remember in the last recession, we saw both luxury and off-price grow four to five X versus broader retail. Mm-hmm. So you have you have a scenario where you can strategically place the right bet on a segment. Mm-hmm. And in that segment, you the question though is, you know, to to Dave's point, right, like, you know, TJ Maxx, Swass, and others have really kind of taken off. So how do you kind of steer this ailing ship? And to me, the question is, you know, has the ship really sunk to the point where it is point of no return? I think time will only only tell whether, you know, they can kind of bring it out. But it's, it's, this, this is a confusing one, right? Like, yeah. uh, it's difficult to kind of really take a brand which has lost its way quite significantly and bring it back so you know we can we can wait and watch and but if i to if i was a betting man i think this is uh, at a point of no return yeah the, the the merchant in me too has questions about the pricing differences between these two brands too but and i'm curious what what are you can you make sense of this no i cannot so the only thing i could think of mm-hmm. like one of these things is not like the other mm-hmm. when you look at tuesday morning and all of the other brands that retail e-commerce ventures has purchased tuesday morning is the only one that still has stores right from what i can ascertain like right. it may they may there may be a couple of others in there but all the other brands pier one dress barn like those stores are shut down right so could they be injecting this $35 million investment in something with the physical locations? Like, could they eventually be taking it and making it this like hodgepodge of all the brands where it's like a, a return center or discounting center? Like, I, I don't know. That's like the only thing I could think of as I, I was researching yeah. this story. That's where I went to. It's like a risk-free way to try to get physical distribution right. for your brands. Because, I mean, essentially you're making a loan, so you're going to get, in theory, get that paid back. But I agree with you. It's, it seems like a little bit of a Hail Mary for me in terms of Pier 1 and what yeah. they did with Pier 1. Because the other thing I don't get, and I brought this up in, a minute ago, is like Pier 1's prices are pretty, were always pretty damn expensive in right. the home furnishings place. Now you're going to just suddenly put them into Tuesday morning how how disjointed is that? How does the economics of that even work? Because you can't bring them down to that level. And the world, to your point, I think, David, I think you mentioned it. We don't need more cheap furniture products available out in the world yeah. in any way, shape, or form. So I so I guess net net, none of us can wrap our heads around this. Is that is that what I'm ta- I'm hearing from <laughs> yeah. all of us? Yeah. Mohit, there's no transformation story here. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be a diff- very difficult one, you know. Uh, <laughs> just like to believe That's the greatest uh, life just of all like time. To believe companies could be transformed, but uh, this one is gonna be. 
A really difficult one. Mohit's not touching this with a 10-foot, uh, what are those, tiki torch from, yeah. from Pier 1. Yeah, all right, um, there you go. All right, headline number five, Target will soon be offering FAO Schwartz toys via dedicated space in its stores as well as online. According to Chain Storage, the discount giant is entering an exclusive multi-year agreement with toy brand FAO Schwartz. Starting mid-October this year, FAO Schwartz toys will be available exclusively at Target stores, Target.com, and FAO Schwartz stores. The FAO Schwartz assortment will include more than 120 items across all toy categories. Products will range in price from $9.99 to $149.99, including 50 toys that will be priced less than $20. All Target store toy departments will feature dedicated space for FAO Schwartz, including store displays, and select Target stores and the Target.com website will also feature hands-on interactive toy demonstrations throughout the holiday season with Target toy experts. Mohit, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, what are your thoughts here on FAO and Target teaming up for the holiday? I mean, we the way I think about this, um, we had a publication last year which which was a $5 trillion opportunity. And in essence, it was the growth in digital and marketplaces, which has been quite phenomenal after the pandemic, right? The problem every single major retailer is facing today is footfalls. Today in the US, Amazon sells more toys online than Walmart and Target combined. Hmm. Target is the number three, but it's way behind in the segment. So this is again, clearly uh, their attempt to see how do we kind of use the space and the box we have with more shop and shop concepts to drive traffic, right? Mm -hmm. I think they were in the news earlier where they're going to pilot mini Apple stores in 17 or 20 stores. We've all seen Sephora and Kohl's. So every single major big box is thinking about, well, how do I drive traffic in the stores? Mm -hmm. I think for me, there are two two things which are really important. And that is number one, how do you kind of use deep data and analytics on your existing consumer base and make sure any kind of, you know, shop and shop concepts is accretive as it relates to traffic. And then you can really maximize the basket size and, you know, uh, all the other good stuff which follows, but also rapid piloting and testing in an agile and accelerated manner. So, you know, it seems they're doing the same thing with Apple. In this case, I'm not sure, you know, if this is a full-blown rollout or if it's a pilot. But again, you know, a step in the right direction. Everyone's vying for traffic. Traffic patterns continue to be depressed, irrespective of what kind of macroeconomic environment and headwinds we are facing. Five years out, 10 years out, we will continue to see depressed traffic environment. So good for, you know, FAO Schwartz that it gives them the physical retail scale, yeah. which they can never have by themselves. Yeah. I'm personally very excited by the price point. I okay. think I heard you say, and yeah, the majority of the to 150, yep. 10, 10 to 150. So it gives a good spread from a merchandising assortment uh, price architecture perspective. But it if it can really you know, play to the value segment around, you know, the $10 and $20 mark, mm-hmm. you know, it could be, could be a really good bump for target and make them a serious contender in, in, in this space while having, you know, broader halo effect as it relates to traffic and yeah. growth in the store. 
yeah, I, I think bringing more people into the stores yeah. is always a benefit and having more variety is definitely a way to do that. Um, Chris is like stewing over here, Dave. Yeah. So I'm going to go to you before we let him yeah, just like this light this one. up because he's he's like, I can feel the energy yeah. coming off yeah. of him. But Dave, uh, you have young kids. I mean, are, is FAO they, Schwartz going to get you? They care about FAO Schwartz, Yeah, Dave? are they going to get you? Is that going to get you into a Target store? So first, uh, I was in a Target store last week and they're uh, – their Buzz Lightyear, uh, the new movie came out, that assortment. Yeah. I got baited into buying a $50 Zerg toy. So <laughs> nice. I have a bit, of, bit of a beef with Target right now. Um, they're good at that. One thing I did notice um, is their toy section isn't the most shoppable. It is a, a sea of toys. Yeah. Uh, the Disney section is pretty shoppable, but mm. the rest kind of, it's just wave of wave of, of toys. So I think from a shoppability perspective, having another kind of, module or, or or you know fao schwartz section sure. could, could help from a shopability perspective um because right now it is it is a bit uh um, overwhelming i guess yeah uh, so but overall i like the concept i think it makes a lot of sense uh, i don't have a lot more to add okay chris all right so the floor is yours so i you know how i like to say retail headline of the year this to me is the most overblown headline of the year. I could not believe this was like the lead on every email the, I can, the, yeah. for the first two days it came out. Fair, because, fair. because for, first of all, like, and I have a lot of things to say about. First of all, brand wise, no one cares. Like kids don't care. Kids don't okay. know Fao Schwartz. They okay. might know Toys R Us at this point, which we've talked about on the show. But they don't know this brand. Fair. Second, you're in a multi-year deal. Okay, that's what they said, which means these items will be locked into planograms, which will become the bane of every buyer at Target's existence as they underperform and cannot be replaced because of that deal. D debatable. Okay. No, I, and as a result of that, I would argue when you look at what is at play here and how many toys they actually have and the amount of toys here, it's not going to drive a stitch of comp. The other inside baseball thing I would point out is who's talking about this in the media, and it's Jill Sando, the chief merchant, whose background, by the way, is home and apparel, where partnerships like this matter, in toys, they don't. In toys, it's about mm -hmm. what's hot, what are the items people want to get for the year. It's not about an FAO shorts partnership or a Toys R Us partnership. It's about what toys you have on your shelf, how many of them, and can you get them to the consumers the way they want, which tells me something because normally Nick Nyer, the, the head of Hardlines, the guy who runs toys, is usually the one talking about all the announcements related to toys. For some reason, he's not on this one, so I find that curious, which means to me it's a hill of beans that ultimately is not going to amount to anything and isn't going to drive the business at all. I think... Okay. Great points. I think that one thing that from your merchant that I challenge you as a merchant, like you mentioned it, like it's about the toys that you have on your shelves. Yes, you're going to have to prioritize the Buzz Lightyear that's toys that are coming out with the movie and those kinds of things that are going to be hot, that are going to be selling fast and making sure that you have those on your shelves. But is there harm in having exclusive toys in your assortment? Like as a merchant, like No, that's fine. Is is that really a bad thing? And if they do this the right way, I think especially there's a, there's a lot of ifs to be determined here. Like they said they're going to be right. doing toy demos and stuff in select Target stores. Right. Like what does that actually look like once right. it's on, unfolds? Because if they do, that could be cool, Chris. Like that could be a really exciting thing that Target has not had before. And if it takes the FAO Schwartz, I agree. Like no kids care about. I asked my kids, like, do you know what FAO Schwartz is? They're like, uh, we have no idea. No. Don't care. But it's still another, it's an exclusive toy that you can only get at Target. So if it does hit and these toys are a success and they're at all the price points that Mohit's bringing up, that could be a value. And no matter what, like the, be the best part of this, of all the things, is that Target 
now has 150 or however many more toys in their assortment in the same place that I'm going to the holidays to get my wrapping paper, to get my essentials and my food and booze for holiday parties. So like net net, I'm good with adding this and we'll wow. place some wagers on whether or not it's going to move the needle enough for you, I think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a marketing story built for the analysts. But Dave, <laughs> you said you have raised your hand. Let's give you the final word here. Yeah, so I think this is a grandparent gifting play. I think oh! grandparent gifting play. It's right. grandparents reminiscing to Big that want to relive their childhood and give gifts to their grandchildren that they aspired for. I think it's much less about the children and it's much more about the buyer. And this is about grandparents. So we're going to be seeing Grandpa Dave riding the FEO Schwartz train around this holiday, you think, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In fairness, we have no idea how desperate FEO Schwartz is in this deal either, which could be a part of this too. So it could actually work out in other ways too besides sales. But all right, let's go to the lightning round. All right, Dave, first question goes to you. Uh, A new Alexa feature was announced yesterday at Amazon's Accelerate conference that they're calling customers Ask Alexa which now will allow brands to submit answers to common questions like, how can I remove pet hair from my carpet? (laughs) Basically turning Alexa responses into full-blown ads for pain and set and pain and set. I have no idea what you're trying to say there, Ed. Pet and stain carpet removers. That's what you're trying to say. Yes. Wow. Uh, Never would have gotten there. I know. I know. It's been a long week. Uh, Dave, what is the most random thing that you've asked Alexa for? (laughs) <laughs> this is a strange one. Um, I guess, how do you remove gum from children's hair? Oh, right. oh my gosh. What, What's the answer? Goo gone. You can Do you want the 1.5 ounce bottle <laughs> or the 3.3 ounce bottle, Dave? What was the answer? I, I think it was baby oil. Oh, okay. Yeah, you probably don't want to put goo gone on like a person. I, I yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go next to and let you recover. Pepsi has decided we'll no longer sponsor this year's halftime show. Moet, what was your favorite Super Bowl halftime extravaganza? Uh, I was waiting for this one. The, it has to be more epic every year, so I'm a little bummed. You're a little bummed? I this is good. Yeah. So you think they raise the bar every year, and so like now they're gonna miss that opportunity. Okay, who is sponsoring yeah. it? I don't. I don't like know, they're doing actually. still doing know. a halftime oh, yeah, show, for right? Sure, yeah, mm. mine's Michael Jackson for sure. What was yours? Mm, Beyonce was amazing. Beyonce, was I loved good. that one. Dave, do you have a vote? Actually, last year too. That last was last year fun. was good. I like Justin Timberlake. I like Ju- yeah. oh that one. Yeah. I like the first Justin Timberlake Britney Spears. But anyway, let's keep rolling. All right. Question three for Dave again. IKEA has sweetened the perks for its loyalty program members of the IKEA family program, which include 5% savings on eligible in-store purchases and offering special pricing on select delivery options online, according to a company press release. Dave, what perk would it take for you to happily shop at IKEA? Happily being the keyword there. I think insurance. Every time I bought something from IKEA, insurance. it breaks really fast. Oh, that's a mm. good idea. Do they not have a warranty? They, do, do I, don't they? I don't know. You I don't, don't see that on furniture. I, I, think oh, it's... I, I, I just said that I'm not. Like, there may have some yeah. kind of warranty in place. You just think you need to buy it. That would make you happy. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's a, some stuff. Yeah, they know. probably do. But like, or it's probably policy. as much as the product itself. So people are like, meh. Right. I'll just take my Langenjard back home and put it together. (laughs) I don't know if that was a mispronunciation or what. No, that's a shelving unit. All right. According to a new survey from personal finance membership group SoFi, a majority 
53% of respondents admit they haven't been sober when making an online purchase. Men are more likely to shop while intoxicated so than women. Mohit, gosh, not, see, it's contagious, Anne. <laughs> Have you ever purchased anything online while under the influence? And if so, what was it? Inquiring minds want to know. iPhone 14, waiting for it. <laughs> That's amazing. That is awesome. I'm awesome. surprised that it's men. I kind of didn't yeah no. are you really i don't know i guess so I yeah bet, i bet men are more like women are always you know in in the stereotype are always shopping men are probably like oh yeah throw back a few oh, i need this iphone 14 right is that what happened moet <laughs> yeah, they need a little bit of courage to you know to pull the trigger it. yeah i see i see <laughs> Oh. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Prince Harry, Tom Hardy, and the man I would let do a hard target search on my outhouse and doghouse any day he wants, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones. What? Yeah. Fugitive. You don't remember that quote? Oh, yeah, now yeah, you do. Yeah, it's yeah. coming okay. back now, right? Oh, my God. All right, David, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about what you guys do at uh, ANMCRG, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way for them to do that is to go to our website, which is alvarezandmarsal-crg.com. They can also check us out on LinkedIn, uh, the Alvarez and Marsal Consumer and Retail Group, or email us directly. You can reach me at dritter at alvarezandmarsal.com. Awesome. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to make it fit all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Remember, as well, you still have two or three days, basically, left to use your promo code ARBOT1950 to register for Grocery Shop. That's R-B-O-T-1950. And on behalf of Moet and David and Ann and all of us at OmniTalk Retail, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com. And finally, Silk. The Silk Cloud DB virtualization platform is a virtualization layer between your workloads and the cloud. It helps you scale your cloud without scaling your costs. Visit Silk.us to learn more. Yeah.